it traveled <clears throat> through the, uh, all over the world, and uh, it gave millions and millions of people hope all over. And all I really did was resonate what the Canadian truckers actually did. And uh, they did what <coughs> any Democrat should do, uh, stand up against their government if they are uh, overreaching and if they are curtailing and infringing on fundamental rights. And that's what the Canadian truckers did. And I will always be grateful for, uh, for them and what they, what they started. Because right now what we are seeing is um, things are coming to light. Uh, a lot of people are waking up, um, thanks to the Canadian truckers uh, also. Um, but the vast majority of the citizens in all of these uh, different countries, um, they are still clinging on to that yeah, hope that they have not been fooled by their governments. They are not ready to admit that the governments, in fact, are out to get all of us. And uh, so it may still take some more time uh, for other people to see it too. And what is going for us right now is their, uh, well, yeah, their continued gaslighting of people. You know, it's still safe and effective, and it still doesn't get your, I don't know, 10th booster now or whatever. So, um, but that actually goes for us. It's in our favor because it sounds so ridiculous. And that will then lead to other people, you know, at least questioning why they're still talking about this. And uh, so there is hope that eventually um, the responsible ones will be brought to justice. Um, probably won't be the one actually calling the shots because they're, they're hiding in the shadows. So um, there will be lawsuits against pharmaceutical companies, obviously. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen, EU com uh, president of the EU Commission. Uh, there's been lawsuits filed against her. Uh, but the state attorney, EU state attorney, is investigating uh, the surroundings of the contracts, which to this day uh, we have not been privy to. Uh, we were given an opportunity uh, shortly before Christmas to take a look at these contracts in like a, a room in isolation, no pen and paper, no phone, the whole shebang. Uh, I chose not to go because uh, I would have had to sign an NDA and I would have never been able to, you know, raise any issue with these contracts. And I will continue to raise the issue with this con. I mean, I know what's in the contracts, seriously. They've been leaked all over. But uh, I still expect the EU Commission to provide us with the contracts because I'm an elected representative of the people. I have to answer to the people, but I can't because they are not showing me what's in the contracts. So I, they are denying me to do my job, hmm. and I take that very personal. Hi, uh, Jonathan Bradley, Western Standard. My question for you is, 
One politician who's been pretty vocal about standing up for freedom in Canada lately has is Conservative leader Pierre Polyev. What is your opinion on Polyev? I've spoken in, in a couple of times. He seems to be a decent guy. And uh, we need people that actually do think and go back to what democracy is all about and what elected representatives should do. It's to be elected by the people and then represent and act on their, in their, in their best uh, interest. So uh, it's, it's beyond me how so many elected representatives um, simply have forgotten or maybe it's more lucrative to not represent the people's best interest. And that's something that people actually need to change. Um, they need to remind their, their elected representatives what their job is. And if they don't live up to that expectation, they should not get voted in, uh, into office. It's as simple as that, really. But a lot of people seem to have forgotten what democracy really is all about. But uh, it's refreshing to see that um, in pretty much every Western democracy, you have new parties popping up. Uh, you, you see people that have never been in politics before. Danielle Smith, for instance. You know, So these, these are actually, this is hope for the people. So, um, yeah, I'm excited that we're seeing this in, in all the Western democracies, that the old parties that want to belong to the club or whatever, that they are actually under a lot of pressure right now. And it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Thank you. Carrie Lambert from the Chris Carey Show in beautiful Whistle, or Whistle Stop Cafe in Mir, Alberta. And uh, we'd like to invite you up there anytime that you're back. And please stop in and have a monster burger. Thank you, but careful, I might take you up on Oh, that. yes, absolutely. So uh, here's, here's a question, a statement kind of thing. With what has happened in the past few years and how corrupt our federal, liberal, and NDP governments are, and with the World Economic Forum and even Canadians elect a new federal conservative government in the next election, and that it's possible that that government could be changed after th that following election, Albertans have an, a way forward away from Canada with a path on a successful referendum on independence. Do you support that idea, especially after all other options between Alberta and the federal government have been exhausted? Well, um, there is, uh, in the UN documents, uh, there is the right to self-determination of mm -hmm. every people on the planet. Mm -hmm. And if a people decide that they want to be released into independence, mm -hmm. then they absolutely have that right to ask for that, and they should be granted. It is a fundamental right to these people. So, um, I mean, if a people is forced under a federal rule of some kind, yeah. which has no regard for what that particular people wants, then yeah, obviously. Excellent, thank you. Hello, I'm Tony Hall from Global Research CA. I want to uh, see what I can draw from you on uh, geopolitics. And so allow me to widen the scope a little bit. And I, I won't go on for more than four minutes, but it might be four minutes <laughs> to lay out the uh, premise. Because the people who did COVID, who somehow put that together, you know, they seem to be just warming up with global warming lockdowns. Suddenly, our food supplies are in danger. Uh, natural gas isn't getting to Germany, so they can't make fertilizer. And, and, uh, and there's this war between uh, Russia and NATO 
But a lot of people look at it as Germany has been attacked. And the bombing of the Nord Stream pipeline amounts to an assault on Germany. And Germany, of course, doesn't have its own constitution, really. It's still under the constitution created by the conquistadors of Germany. After World War II, Germany is still occupied by American okay. soldiers. <clears throat> I said four minutes. I'm about okay. two minutes. I gave you a warning. Like, everything isn't just simple yes or no. Uh, <clears throat> so there's Germany, attacked by the United States. Uh, we're in this war with Russia. You know, it's been a long-standing fear. What if the Germans and the Russians get together? It runs through the 20th century, Mackinder and all of that. And, you know, you come from uh, the Alternatives for Deutschland party, which, you know, would like to see peace conference with, uh, with, with the, in, in the Russian-NATO conflict. So Germany has a big role in this. Canada, our government is going off to support Azov Battalion. There's a whole discourse about n Nazis and denazification. So, you know, I'm throwing this out to you. You're, you're the international person. You're our voice in the international context right now, the main one in the world, as, I, as far as I can see. So there it is. Uh, talk, talk, us, talk to us about what's going on in Germany and Russia and NATO, etc. So first of all, um, we simply don't know who actually did blow up uh, North Stream 2. All I know for sure is I know who it wasn't. Because had there been a single shred of evidence that it was actually Putin behind that, we would have never heard the end of that one. I mean, the newspapers would have, you know, shoved it down our throats from morning until night. But that didn't happen, did it? And since that didn't happen, I know for sure it was not Putin doing that. But I don't know who actually did. <clears throat> and you mentioned uh, Germany still has no constitution. And you're right about that. Um, there was a provision in our Grundgesetz, uh, the basic law, pretty much. Um, that once Germany was reunited, um, we would have uh, a, a, an assembly to give the reunited German people a constitution. And uh, yes, that has been a, a, something that we've always wanted. Um, I have changed my mind on that one, and I will explain why. Look at the society we're living in now. Do you honestly believe that if we came up with a constitution now, it would be better than the Grundgesetz? No way. It would have transgender ideology, the whole climate mm. madness. Yeah. All of this would find its way mm. in the constitution. Oh man, this yeah, is so right. terrible. It's yeah. so dangerous. So please, anyone wanting to set up a new constitution, I caution very strongly. We cannot afford to do this right now. Now, on um, the other things you mentioned. Um, so let's be clear about this. Um, my party takes national sovereignty very seriously. And uh, what Putin did was a violation of the border of a national sovereign country. And that is a no-go. And a violation of a, a national border of a sovereign country is, by the way, also when refugees just trample all over a country. So, but it's no different. The violation of a national border is a violation, whether you come by foot and, and want asylum, 
or you do it with tanks and military means. That's an absolute no-go. But also, um, this war did not start in February 25 of last year. At the very latest, it started in November 2014 with the events taking place on Maidan, when the protesting citizens were shot down. And it wasn't pro-Russian rebels back then, as we were told. We now know it was the Ukrainian government. And that's where you kind of connect the dots. Once again, what preceded that? The Ukraine, Ukraine was supposed to join EU and there were negotiation talks. The Ukrainian people, however, didn't want to join EU. And their president did what the Ukrainian people wanted and said, my people don't want this. And he dropped the negotiation talks to join EU. And that's where the problem came about. EU will not take no for an answer. If they want Ukraine in EU, they will do whatever the heck they can to make that happen. And if that means shooting down people who are protesting uh, a government and then removing an elected president and installing a new one who will do their bidding, they will do that. And that is the problem. And that was just the EU now. And I don't know who's bidding the EU really did in that regard. But that's a question maybe for another day. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, welcome again, Christine. My name is Indene Tsitsanotinetsekwi. That means Yellowknife's woman. I'm from Yellowknife Northwest Territories. I say the diamond capital of the world because I have five diamond mines in our backyard, uh, gold mines, uranium, right? Um, beryllium, water. Uh, so that's all trade, right? Now, I understand that, for example, the United States government has a free trade agreement, and when Trump was in power, and I believe it was in 2016, he passed a, a new uh, clause, or he implemented a new uh, clause into that trade agreement that the United States would not do any business with any country that is deemed corrupt. So I am, I am wondering. They can do trade with themselves, though. Exactly. This was Trump. Now we have Biden, right? So that changed the whole narrative. Because Sandra McKenzie, the other clan mother and myself, we wrote a letter to Trump to file a complaint against the Canadian federal government, everybody, for corruption and whatever. So I'm wondering if... Um, the other countries in the EU have thought about that, taking that type of position. I mean, it's it's deemed the same as um, sanctioning, but I think this is a little bit more. So, what what's your um, idea on having that type of, I guess, what would you call it, um, rule? Well, about these trade agreements, I mean, I am a lib libertarian, so I support trade agreements. But they're not worth the paper they're printed on anymore. Because these trade agreements are no longer negotiated by sovereign governments of sovereign nations. We, what we see now is we have, um, yeah, governments that are doing someone else's bidding. They're not for the, they're for the people anymore. 
So whatever trade agreement you see, um, they will make sure it's beneficial to you know international companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies, for instance. Um, they are the beneficiaries of that. It's no longer the people. So uh, we need to take a really close look at these trade agreements because most of them do not uh, better people's lives, and uh, they yeah pretty much only benefit uh, the globalitarian elites. So that's why I've uh, um, kind of reconsidered uh, trade agreements because you need to take a very close look at these at these uh, contents. Um, and it's also, of course, it is a way uh, to once again disenfranchise uh, the sovereign nations. Um, it is cutting down on the ability of uh, sovereign nations, sovereign people to support themselves. Uh, so they're dependent on, you know, getting whatever they don't produce anymore because it may be cheaper somewhere else. But then you have the problem, as we have seen during the lockdowns, there was no medication anymore because, you know, the, the chain of uh, the supply, it was just all cut down. And uh, in Germany, we've especially seen that yeah, with the um, Nord Stream 2 being blown up. I mean, you know, we are pretty much out of gas. I mean, the only thing that saved us this winter, it was rather mild. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but... How is it going to go on? I mean, people cannot afford their bills anymore. And the bakeries are shutting down. And we're talking here, energy price increases in not five or, or six times. It's like, what, 12, 13, 14, 15 fold. People cannot afford this anymore. But that's, once again, where you see, connect the dots. If people can't pay their bills anymore, they become dependent upon the government. And that's exactly where the government wants you to be. And when then they, renegotiate a trade agreement, they don't have to listen to the people. Mm -hmm. They will do whatever they, they want, and the people just have to suck it up, mm -hmm. unless they stand up and fight this. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say about that. Zero, 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 two, three, zero, zero, nine, eight. Registered corporation to the States, Canada Corporation. What it did to, to our people is they have acted in conflict of interest. They have chief and counsel under INAC signing modern agreements who don't answer to us tribal people. Right now, Canada, they have perfected on us tribal people now doing it to civilians. They are putting you under their system as a commodity, not as a person, as a human. So what needs to happen is fire this government. And we need to get a true working government for everyone in unity. Not having allowing immigration to come in, taking over the political parties, and then having to divvy up what was extracted from our resources out to other countries. Can you frame that as a question, please? Yes, oh, thank you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and then I've been appointed by my mother as Khan mother to represent my siblings and my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and my grandmother. Right now, as we speak, my whole family, from just my mother, not counting her siblings, we are 200 that have been 
removed from our communities, being told that we don't belong. But yet, this was our land long before, with time immemorial. So I believe, is there a way that you can help us to have Canada Corporation get fired, terminated, whatever it takes, and not have a true working government that's for the people? Can you help us on that? If I could do that, I would truly be a miracle of some kind. But unfortunately, well, it is a tough one. Um, now, I'm not really familiar with, uh, you know, how, how it's set up with the, the tribal people and, you know, because we don't really deal with that in, in Europe, so I'm not quite clear on that. But to me, it, it really boils down to this. You're being denied your identity. You're being denied your, your culture. You're being denied your national identity, if you will. And that's exactly what is happening to every single Western democracy in the world, especially in Europe. So uh, I, can, I, I can relate to what you're saying, and I was actually kind of hoping you could give me advice on that. Because as you know, we are being flooded, you know, with millions and millions and millions of young men who do not appreciate the way, our way of life, who do not respect women. Um, so, and they are taken over. And when you look at the major cities in Germany, uh, the age group under six-year-olds, they're already at 70-80%. So it's, it's, a, it's a matter of time until the German people will be in a minority. And then we will face exactly the same fate that your people did. And then really, you know, and still people don't see it. I mean, you can make the same argument with the, the Indians in, in the United States, the American natives. You know, there was a, you know, refugees, if you will, or settlers coming in. They just pushed them aside and took over. And that's what we're facing now, too. So, um, I'm very sorry. I, I really don't know what to, what to say to you. Um, like I said, I was hoping you could give me some advice on how to deal with that situation because we will be facing it pretty soon. The system is a start. For that, we need, we need the people. And we need to keep the pressure up. And we don't, we, we should never make the mistake when they take a step back. That's just a tactical retreat for them. They will keep coming again and again and again. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so take to the streets, do whatever it takes, wake people up. Tony? Hi, Christine. Thank you again for coming. My name is Dominique Pony, and I represent Taking Back Our Freedoms and the Foothills um, Community Rally Group. And I'd like to ask you, as I'm sure you're aware, we have a couple of elections coming up uh, in the near future in Alberta and in the rest of Canada. And I'm wondering if you could give some advice to voters about um, what we do when we're faced with current elective officials who have not one of them standing in parliament or legislature now spoken out against categorically and firmly the World Economic Forum, their manipulation and control of our policies and our government, um, their infiltration into our healthcare system. You are an elected stand standing official and you actually did that which is very unique around the world. What do you advise us as voters to look for to ensure that we can bring people into politics like yourself who are willing to stand up and not be afraid 
of polls and public opinion? Um, <clears throat> well, you are actually uh, off to a good start. Uh, I mean, you know, the people I met the last two days, um, they are all awake and, and they, you know, understood what was going on. And uh, I've met quite a few people that were quite outspoken and, you know, right on point. And um, so I don't know the possibilities of founding parties in this country. I'm not familiar with that. But just to get the, the base going. And then address your elected representatives. Make them answer you. And ask them, why are you not opposing this? This goes against our interests. And then make clear that you will never vote for them again unless they you know, kind of do what they were elected to do to represent the people and act in, on their behalf. So um, but once again, write emails. Uh, not three or four, make it a thousand, hundreds of millions of emails every day. Just, you know, keep the pressure up. And, uh, yeah, the people just need to understand what democracy is all about. So get back to the basics. It is the people that are an employer of the politicians, not the other way around. It's the people that tell the politicians what they want done, not the other way around. So, and... Um, you also should always look, what do politicians say and what do they do? Does, is, is, does that match even? So, and nine times out of ten you will find it, it doesn't. Look at the different government levels, because that's a phenomenon we have in Germany. So you have politicians, they are in, uh, in the state uh, parliament and in, in federal parliament or even in EU parliament. They're doing completely different things. Because they know if we did that in the state parliament, people won't vote for me, so they won't. But sitting in federal government, where the own constituents are a little further away, they do whatever the heck they want. And that's another problem we're having. Uh, the democratic processes are being removed further and further away from the people. Um, political accountability is so obscure now, um, so people are not even supposed to know anymore. Who can we hold responsible? And especially on EU level, you have this internationality going. So I did not vote for any minister in Poland, for instance, or France or Portugal. I cannot hold them accountable. But they're doing what maybe my minister won't dare to do because he knows the German people won't vote. So he just has his colleague take these votes. He said, well, I was on your side. So, you know, they're taking away the political accountability because their end game ultimately is you are not supposed to be in their way anymore. I mean, it, it, it's really a nuisance to them that, you know, these people are running around and demanding their fundamental rights and all of that. Gosh, it, it's really, it's nasty what they have, what the politicians have to deal with, you know. So, um, yeah, but let's get back to what democracy is all about. Yeah, thank you very much. Hi, uh, Christine, I got a, another question for you. So Canada is on track to increase immigration. We're seeing numbers possibly of up to $500,000, sorry, 500,000 new immigrants. Um, and with Germany, obviously, we've seen a number of migrants come in. Uh, how can, why should Canada not take in more, immigrations and, more immigration and how can Germany's experience show that position? Um, I'm not saying Canada shouldn't take in more migrants. Um, I understand you guys actually have a, a migration policy. 
So, um, I mean, the people coming here, they actually have to have some kind of a qualification uh, and, and things like that. What we have in Germany is, I mean, the people just pouring in, and there are so-called refugees. Um, they're basically functional, functional illiterates. Um, they're barely at an a, a elementary school level of uh, fourth grade or something like that. And that we're being told they are going to, you know, uh, some uh, time down the line, they're going to pay our our uh, pensions. I, I think not. So what we're seeing um, a total overflow of our welfare system, which is c completely blown out of proportion. And we have now a ratio; it's up to what 50% of the of the budget even. So it's not sustainable, and um, it, it's just once again it's gaslighting going on. They're being sold to us as uh, you know, enrichment, cultural enrichment. Yeah, I don't think, I, I, I really don't think so. I mean, what we see every day now is people getting uh, uh, knifed down with machetes. Uh, we're talking about brutal, not just rapes, brutal rapes, gang rapes of girls as, as young as six, seven years old. And it's all isolated incidents every single time. Tragic but isolated incidents. So we are sacrificing um, our way of life, our free and liberal uh, uh, and equal society on the altar of tolerance and respect. We are just flushing all of this down the toilet. And we might yeah, wind up in the medievals, something like that. So, uh, but yet, if you say anything against that, if you raise these issues, I mean, people being murdered in broad daylight on an everyday basis, that's pretty, it's pretty heavy. So, uh, but if you say that, then you obviously are a racist. And uh, that's why we are being labeled, we are against immigration. We are not against immigration. But please don't let them, you know, run in by the millions and then, you know, live off of us. And on top of all of that, have our girls raped, get mucked, get stabbed to death, beheaded. All of these things are happening on an everyday basis. And I don't want to live in a country like that. Seriously, and that's pretty much all I have to say about that. And it's beyond me how they can even look in the mirror anymore. Their job is supposed to, to serve the people, to act on their behalf, and uh, shame on you, seriously. So you came on the radar by your famous speech about our fearless leader, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> so if you... Can you please send a message right now to Mr. Trudeau, similar to the one you did in the EU Parliament? Because that's when all of Canada fell in love with Christina Anderson, mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. you stood up for Canadians in the EU Parliament and 
told it like it was. Mm -hmm. That's the wrong response. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would I say to Justin Trudeau now? I mean, pretty much not anything different from what I said a year ago. Um, but I probably would add that, gosh, and now you've got away with the, the Emergency Act too. So, um, and he should really think long and hard if he would ever do anything like that again. Um, I do realize he's been given a carte blanche, and that will actually set a precedent for all other uh, uh, Western democracies in the world. Um, the governments just get away with all of that. So, um, what are we going to see in the future if you protest uh, against some measures your government took? or if you are in, a, uh, in uh, opposition to something the government is doing, all they have to do is to, to get rid of you, like uh, have the Emergency Act enacted. Um, I mean, that's not stuff that's ha that happens in democracies. That's what happens in dictatorships. And I have seen that. I've been so close to that. And um, I mean, it's the same handwriting. And why don't people see that their freedoms are being stripped away from them, piece by piece and step by step? And once they're gone, you will not get them back. Well, you, you won't. Fight. You have to fight for them back. Exactly. Right. So, um, Mr. Trudeau, I think, gosh, he really is a sorry excuse for a world leader, mm -hmm. uh, seriously. And he should work on his acting skills because they suck. <laughs> <laughs> look very closely and very carefully uh, what are they saying and what are they doing? Uh, is that in sync? Um, are they maybe connections to you know some kind of NGOs or international uh, entities or something like that? Um, try to find out uh, the people, uh, the heads of these parties, uh, how did they act when you know during this COVID madness? Um, what is their stance on gender identity? Uh, that's a big tell. If they're in favor of that, gosh, run. Run as far away as you can. Um, and, you know, just pretty much what is their opinion on, on fundamental rights, on individual freedom? Not just any freedom, individual freedom. Because that's the only thing, once that is guaranteed, that will set you apart from totalitarianism and, and uh, authoritarianism. Uh, because in systems like that, the individual does not count anything. Everything is being, uh, uh, yeah, kind of like it's all about the collective. Look for things like that, and uh, then I guess all you can do is pray 
that uh, they have actually said the truth and that they, um, yeah. So what are your thoughts specifically on a, a leader of a party where the party doesn't have a lot of hope? Is there a possibility of them actually making an alliance like the NDP did with the Liberals to have any sort of success and, and you know, to at least get a foot and a word in the game? I really couldn't speak uh, on that because I don't know the parties. I'm familiar with the, the parties in Germany, obviously, and some of the parties in Europe. Um, so I really could not intelligently speak on that. Um, but in Germany, what I'm seeing, the former conservative party and the former libertarian party, um, they were the parties I always voted for. And they are now way in the left and green corner. So, but every election time comes around, whatever party of them is not in government, they're drumming, you know, oh, fundamental rights, individual freedom, da, 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 and the people fall for it over and over and over again. So, um, the only general piece of advice I could give you, you should not get discouraged just because you think that a party uh, you may favor will not make it, vote for them anyway. Do not make the mistake of trying to vote for the lesser lesser evil because they're evil as hell. It, you know, just don't do that. So if there's a party that you feel represented by, give them their vote. No matter how slim the, 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 the chances are that they will make it, they will grow. But if they don't get the, the, your support now, they may not be around the next time. Mm -hmm. So. Vote for them, support them, do whatever you can. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank, you, so thank, you, thank you, thank you. Answer. Thank you. One, one more? Three yeah. more, I think. Yeah. Three yeah. more? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Christine Laura Lynn from Laura Lynn Live. Uh, we have a tremendous problem in Canada in that we have a prime minister that is uh, uh, tyrannical and has beaten us down. We have election that is probably coming up in the next year or two, depending if the government could fall at any time, God willing. But uh, the Canada is so badly wanting to get rid of Justin Trudeau that they are, you've talked about all of the parties now corrupted. Uh, when you talk about gender ideology, we have Pierre Polyev, he's the head of the Conservative Party. He will not speak against it at all. I believe he's in support of this gender nonsense. He's completely LGBTQ supportive. He's in support of the climate nonsense. He is not willing to refute it. I understand that you met an incredible man, Maxime Bernier. And I'm wondering what your opinion is of him because he strikes me, he left the mainstream parties and said they are corrupt. He is willing to speak. He was uh, with the Freedom Convoy on the ground speaking daily to the people where Pierre Polyev and the rest of them, no, nowhere to be found. No one was defending us. They were supposed to have a meeting so that we didn't have the big ugly suit sent in with rubber bullets into unarmed Canadian citizens. Not one conservative stayed for a late night meeting. They all went home. They left us in the dark. Maxime Bernier, I understand you met him. Could you tell us your impression of this man? He's like you. He's outside of the box. Um, I did meet him. We, we spoke uh, via Zoom conference. And if he's like me, he's good to go. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, if he left, uh, and I understand he, he has been uh, uh, elected representative once before, yes, and he, he left that party, left. so that's a big tell, you know, if someone leaves a party, uh, and you know, guessing from, or, or judging from how the structure uh, of the parties is in Germany, you know, that's a big step. 
because you lose all of your support, you lose uh, your chances of getting reelected, and to do that, you have to be pretty principled. And if he did that, yeah, good choice, good choice. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I'll do one more. Sure. Okay. Um, so you've probably heard that we have some political prisoners here in Canada. One or two are probably in this room. We also have some in, yeah, and yeah, it's still in jail. And basically that's what I was going to get to. So we actually have four political prisoners right here in Alberta from the Coots border protest in February of 2022. And they've been denied bail for various reasons, I'm assuming. But this seems to be going on and on. And, and they're actually going back and looking at Facebook and they've arrested another three people. And of course they're out on bail. This is absolute garbage that's going on in Canada right now. And especially in Alberta. Uh, I'd like to at least acknowledge those, those four men in Coots. Their names are Chris Carbert, Jerry Morin, Anthony Alinek, and Chris Lysak. Do you have any comments to say about Anything, maybe, maybe something's happening like that in Germany or in the EU that you're aware of. Yeah, it is happening all over the place. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's this whole thing, uh, like hate speech, disinformation, they will slam you so hard. Yeah. It is censorship. And you know, once you, you get taken away by the authorities, uh, yeah, then you have political prisoner. Mm -hmm. But these things are not supposed to happen in a democracy. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's just, it's so mind blowing. And um, if a, a government does that, it's just a typical scheme, you know, teach, uh, uh, no, uh, punish one mm -hmm. and teach thousands a lesson. Yeah. And that's how this works. And they're banking on the fear uh, that, that people will feel. You know, I mean, most of the people, they have a family to feed, they have a mortgage to pay. So that in and of itself is enough pressure and if they are being locked up for some ridiculous thing like some Twitter post or whatever, mm. that'll teach you. Yeah. That will really teach you. Yeah. But it's the stuff totalitarianism is made of. Keep the people in fear. And, you know, the rules make them kind of obscure. So no one really knows anymore where not to step. And, you know, it's like having them walk on eggshells the entire time. Mm. And that will wear you down to an extent that you do not say anything anymore. And the thing is really this, if the government is afraid of the people, then you have a democracy. But if the people are afraid of government, you have a tyranny. That's right. It's as simple yeah. as that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank Thank you so much for having me. And speaking of valuable time, I can not think of a better way to spend my time than fighting for freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you.
get to Ontario because they have uh, some events going on there. So um, the uh, great outfit. Yeah. Your hands. Yeah. Great outfit. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Keep up the fight. And then guys. we'll come back with uh, our, our next press conference after that. So again, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much. So Peter Zane. <laughs> and there you go, people. Short and sweet. Brilliant. What a great lady. I hope you guys enjoyed that, and I'll uh, I'll see. Maybe maybe Chris will be around tonight. Maybe we'll do a bit of a Chris and Carrie show tonight. We'll see. We'll see. You guys have a great Sunday. Not sure what it is. Uh, thank you everybody for coming and staying um, for for our little presser here. Um, we thank each of you for being here with us today. Um, my name is Tamara Leach, and we wanted to take this opportunity to introduce the board of directors for Freedom 2022 Human Rights and Freedoms affectionately known as Freedom Court. And to provide an update on what we have been up to, legally and otherwise, and to share our thoughts with you following Friday's release of the Public Inquiry Report and where we go from here. I'm going to ask one of our board members, Miranda, to one of the original con convoy volunteers from the convoy last year to introduce herself and uh, the board of directors of Freedom Court. Good afternoon, everyone. So my name is Miranda Gazier, and I joined the Freedom Convoy when it originally started. I led the convoy of trucks out of Lloydminster, Alberta, as one of the Alberta road captains traveling across the country to Ottawa. When I arrived in Ottawa, I went straight to the Ark Hotel to volunteer in the logistics room. I became a board member of Freedom Corp and have had, been on the board ever since. I'd also like to now introduce the other board members to you and tell you a little bit about them. To my left here is Ms. Tamara Leach, the president of Freedom Corp, and we all know who she is, and she needs no further introductions. Uh, Chris Barber, just off camera, he is our vice president, and we all know Chris for his famous beautiful truck, Big Red. He led the main convoy all the way across Canada, or Big Red did. Over here on my other left is Ryan Mihalowicz. He is a trucker from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and was the Northern Saskatchewan road captain who traveled with the rest of us in the convoy to Ottawa, and like me, volunteered and joined the original Freedom Corp board. A number of board members could not be with us here today. Sean Tyson is a trucker from Southern BC. He was the Southern BC road captain who convoyed to Ottawa and joined the original board. Joey Mizu is a trucker who was part of the Ottawa convoy and volunteered as a fuel runner during the protests and then joined the board in June of 2022. Lori Mizu is Joey's wife and had a previous career in banking and agreed to help Freedom Corp in June by becoming our board secretary. I will now turn it back to our president, Tamara Leach, to read a statement from the board. Thank you. Oh yeah, we forgot Dale ends. And Dale is, I think, watching, but uh, Dale is also on our board, Dale Enns. He was originally from Manitoba, Manitoba and now he's in BC. He was a truck driver um, that accompanied us also, road captain. Uh, so now I'm going to read a statement to you that we've prepared regarding um, how we feel about the report that came out on Friday. As a group, we were obviously disappointed with Friday's public inquiry report. Friday was a sad day for Canada. But we hope that the report adds fuel to the desire for our fellow Canadians to hold our government to account. When the inquiry began, we had hoped it would be a fair and objective process. But as the process wore on, we became concerned about its purpose. And now, reading the report, 
we realize that the government used innocent Canadians who participated in good faith at the hearings as nothing more than puppets for the government's political theater designed to protect the Prime Minister. It is our view that Mr. Rouleau justified the use of the Emergencies Act not because the Freedom Convoy was a threat to national security, but because the government and police authorities failed, especially the federal government, for not talking to protesters. The Freedom Corp was effective, the government was not. As a result, unfortunately, government incompetence is now the threshold for suspending civil liberties and freezing bank accounts in Canada. We all know the truth about what happened in Ottawa last year and why. Thousands of Canadians lined the highways and even more traveled to Ottawa to protest two years of oppressive overreach by government mandates. Canadians from all over Canada and all walks of life stood up for a restoration of the rights and freedoms that we have always cherished and to preserve Canada for future generations. We remain proud of our country and fellow Canadians, but we are very disappointed in our government. We want to remind Canadians that while the public inquiry phase has now come to an end, and as we put the Rouleau whitewash behind us, the Freedom Board has much work yet to do. Over the coming months and through this year, many of the board members and the board itself must defend ourselves against a $400 million class action lawsuit and prepare for criminal trials later this year. But above all, going forward, we encourage all Canadians to hold your elected officials to account. Canadians now need to decide what Canada they want for our kids and for our future. We continue to witness government overreach and authoritarian actions by our government. If this is not the Canada that we all want, we all need to be loud and clear and hold every, uh, and to every elected official, it is time for them to take a stand and to stand by the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the rule of law, and to advocate for amendments to the Emergencies Act so that it can't be abused again. We cannot have a Canada where civil liberties are suspended at the whim of politicians or bank accounts are arbitrarily frozen because you oppose the government or donated to a cause that you believed in. Instead, it is time for us to all work together to restore Canada to the true North, strong and free that the world was once envious of. We have always, always encouraged peace, love, and unity. And it is through peace, love, and unity that we will continue to find hope for our future. And now I'm just going to ask uh, Ryan to give you an update on the donations. Thank you. Hi, my name is Ryan Mihalovitz. Um our goal as a board has always been to be transparent to many thousands of Canadians who donated to support the Freedom Convoy last year. I've been asked to provide an update on status of the Freedom Convoy, or sorry, status of the donated funds. As you both, GoFundMe and Gibson Go returned most of the donations directly to the donors last year, but there's approximately five million that got captured by court and Ontario Attorney General orders. Five million of the donations is currently being held in court supervised escrow account. Our lawyers are fighting to get the money out of the free, out to the Freedom Corp board, but 
the reality is that there is so many legal restrictions and different groups trying to get their hands on the money that it may never not become available to the Freedom Corp to use in support of freedom efforts. In hope that we'll eventually get access to the donations, earlier this month we have conducted a poll on our Facebook page. We had asked for input on how best to use the donations if we can free them from legal restrictions. The results of the poll were overwhelming. In, our, in favor of using the funds to help reimburse the out-of-pocket expenses of the convoy truckers and then help pay for legal defenses for the truckers who participated in the Freedom Convoy. We will keep everyone updated as we continue to have our lawyers fight to get the monies released. Thank you and I'd like to turn it now over to our fantastic legal team. Thank you for that. Um, so, over the last year, I have met amazing, hardworking Canadians of different backgrounds from all over the country, whose most egregious crime was to hold their government to account. In return, the Prime Minister of Canada engaged in a misinformation and disinformation campaign to vilify, cause hate, and divisiveness amongst Canadians, friends, and families. He is called innocent Canadian citizens, extremists, racists, misogynists. He has accused innocent Canadians of serious crimes of domestic terrorism by overthrowing the government. I will remind you that no one has been charged with domestic terrorism. The most serious charge as a result of the Freedom Convoy is mischief and obstruction of justice. This is a far cry from the outrageous allegations made by the Prime Minister. In his divisive rhetoric, he is asked whether they should be tolerated and whether these Canadians should have space. These are not words of a leader. These are words of a coward. A man scared of his own people, so he must divide his own people in order to stay in power. It is Canadians who lose when our leader does not, when our leaders do not speak the truth. It is Canada that loses when our Prime Minister divides and disparages his own citizens in an attempt to maintain power. But I would like to remind the Prime Minister that he can only fool Canadians for so long. The Prime Minister's misinformation and disinformation campaign of division, hate, shame, and blame is inherently destructive and divisive. It undermined the ability of the government officials and members of the public to engage in meaningful discussions. At the same time, Canadians' mistrust of government officials was reinforced by the hateful rhetoric coming from them. The Prime Minister must look himself in the mirror and understand that his misinformation and disinformation campaign against peaceful Canadian citizens diminished the prospect of productive discussion in Ottawa and moving forward. 
the Prime Minister may not understand that his divisive rhetoric is called causing a tear in the fabric of Canada. Canadians are taking the example from their Prime Minister and demeaning, disparaging, and defaming others. Thinking, well, if the Prime Minister can say it, so can I. When the Prime Minister looks himself in the mirror, he will see that he was the one that caused so much hurt and pain in Canada, caused the emergency because Canadians lost hope. Because our Prime Minister chose to divide his citizens rather than unite citizens when that is exactly what Canadians we're calling on him to do. Thanks, Emma. Um, I'm Keith Wilson. I'm one of the legal team. Um, I've been asked to provide a legal update, and I'll do that. Uh, but I just want to emphasize something that Tamara said, which is all Canadians need to understand that this is not over. The Merlot whitewash report ends nothing. In fact, it's a clear indicator that we all need to engage even more as Canadians in the democratic process. Because Parliament is essentially a law-making machine. And Canadians decide who has the keys to the law-making machine. And if enough of us raise concerns with our elected officials and make it clear that the type of Canada that Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Rouleau envision for us is not the Canada that we were raised in and is not the Canada we want for our children. And if we speak loudly and clearly to our elected officials in enough volume of sound and quantity of voices, they will figure out that we have power in the ballot box and where we place our X. So, the events of Friday are not a defeat. They are a call to action that we have more work to do. With respect to the legal actions, um, I think there's some perception out there that the legal challenges are behind the true Canadian heroes, the truckers that went to Ottawa. They're not. First of all, each one of these people other than Eva and I as well as all the board members and others like Tom Morazzo, Danny Bulford, are facing a $400 million lawsuit. We're aggressively defending it. We took an action in January to try and have it struck. There's lots of fighting ahead of us. They're not giving up. It's full steam ahead on both sides. Um, so be aware that there's a heavy lift in front of us. The other is the criminal charges. Chris and Tamara have, are facing a number of, of political charges, I'll call them, uh, under the criminal code, mischief, counseling to commit mischief, and other allegations. Um, none of them involving violence, none of them involving insurrection, or anything coming close to the tests that are required under the Emergencies Act. Um, so, there, it's three-week trial scheduled, currently scheduled for September, and the Crown prosecutor, if any of you've seen him, has self-described himself many times as very passionate about this case. I'm sorry 
but in a rule of law country, passion is not a word you should hear from a Crown prosecutor in a prosecution. In any event, he's indicated that he's seeking to put Tamara Leach and Chris Barber in jail for five to 10 years. So this is very serious. We're taking it very serious and we're gonna keep working hard with our criminal defense teams to uh, give Tamara and Chris the best defense available. So I'll also uh, restate something, um, is that the, um, you know, when I look at the Rougeau report, partly doesn't matter what it says because so many Canadians and so many people in this room know exactly what happened in Ottawa and know why. People went there out of deep, profound concern about the authoritarian slip, the tyrannical tendencies that had manifested themselves with the mandates harming our children's, our community, our businesses, our neighbors, and we said enough. And there is no way that that action of protesters going to Ottawa can be legally the same as World War I, World War II, and the FLP crisis where there was bombings, kidnapping, and murders. So we're at a dangerous time. The government has decided that um, through Trudeau and Mr. Rouleau, that no, if you say something the government doesn't like, they can freeze your bank account, freeze your business account, and they can isolate you from society, and they can use violence to beat down uh, peaceful protesters. So we've really got to redouble efforts. Um, at this stage, we're open to uh, taking a few questions and I'll happily coordinate those. Does anybody have a question? Chris, uh, I'm sorry, Keith, that $400 million lawsuit, who launched that? The 400 million, the question is who launched the $400 million lawsuit? <clears throat> It was launched by a personal injury lawyer from um, <clears throat> from Ottawa. His name's Paul Champ, and it was originally we got served with it on the first Friday when we were there, which would have been the February the third, I think. And at that time, it was ten million, and then he expanded it to thirty-six million, and now it's it's actually precisely I think it's three hundred and ninety-six million. But you know, when you're talking that, you may as well just round it up to the next hundred million. So, what's the basis of it? I mean. When truckers went to Ottawa, there was approximately 500 to 700 truckers, tens, mil, hundreds of thousands of Canadians that brought revenues into Ottawa. We filled the hotels in Ottawa. So where, what's the basis of that lawsuit? Uh, the basis of the lawsuit, to answer it on a technical level, is it's founded in the common law of nuisance. Common law of nuisance is a very old, old tort in our system. It's uh, been in, on the law books since about the 1600s, maybe a little later. Um, and it's founded in this notion that if I do something that unreasonably interferes with your use and enjoyment of your property, you can sue me. So the, the lawsuit is founded on the idea that the honking of the horns and the sound of the trucks and the presence of the people shouting freedom and liberté uh, that that constituted a nuisance, and as a result, um, uh, the residents of Ottawa are entitled to $400 million in damages. We think it's a crazy lawsuit, but if anybody who's been involved in litigation knows, it doesn't matter how crazy you think the lawsuit is, you're in a lawsuit. So, another question? 
Selena with Frame Central. I'm just wondering for uh, our supporters on this side of things, we the fringe, if you will, what can we tell them if they want to support Tamara, Chris, Freedom Corps, and, and their venture to into lawsuit territory? Are you about financial support? Whatever. <clears throat> any yeah. kind of support. Well, um, we're still working on that. As you can imagine, it's a pretty tricky minefield that we have because whenever different parties set up funds, <laughs> they come for it. So it's something that uh, that's a work in progress. Um, so far, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms has been absolutely remarkable, remarkable. Uh, the Democracy Fund's also been helping. Both organizations have been helping not only the people you see in this room, but many truckers. Uh, I think the Justice Centers assisted over 52 truckers with charges and various defenses, as well as many other things. Um, but we're continuing to look at ways to ensure that the work that needs to be done is properly resourced so the freedom fighters can have the fullest and best defense possible. Tamir, did you want to add about what Canadians could do more generally? Thank you. Um, I have always recommended contacting your MPs, contact your elected officials, and just bombard them. Send them an email every day. I have a link that you can send one email to every MP sitting in the house mm -hmm. that I would love to share. Um, you, or you can pick per party or, you know, so, I, and I've used that before and it's quite a remarkable tool. Um, so email them, communicate, get your friends, like-minded friends to email and communicate. It's an email, it will take five minutes of your time. Um, get involved on all areas of government, um, municipal, provincial, federal, boards, school boards, everything that you can possibly get involved in, um, that's that's what I encourage. I'd like to add to that, and I'd just like to say that Tamara and Chris and the Freedom Board has really taken quite, and truckers and protesters, quite a hit, you know, lots has been said, and that was what my notes we're speaking to, the disinformation and misinformation campaign um, head up by the federal government of Canada and others. Keep providing support. Keep providing encouraging statements publicly, privately when you see people that have taken a stand. I know for myself, I recently have been attacked on social media because I am doing my job representing my clients. And the fact that people are being disparaged in the way that they are needs to stop. That will take time, but keep supporting the people standing up for your freedoms that are putting themselves out there, that are taking the hits. Please keep supporting them. They need it. They love it. It will help them. And I have one more thing to add. Um, turn off your TVs. Yes. <laughs> or at least the legacy media. I think um, that was loud and clear last year when you heard what was going on on TV or the radio and then saw with your own eyes what was really happening. So um, I always encourage people to find alternative, alternative news sources. Um, find the credible ones. 
Yeah, Canadians for Truth is a great example. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone here. Yeah. Hi, um, Jonathan Bradley, Western Standard. I have a question. So, Public Order Emergency Commissioner Paul Rouleau criticized Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's comments about the Freedom Convoy protesters being a small fringe minority with unacceptable views. What do you think of that criticism? Well, I. I think I expressed that in my testimony, um, or sorry, uh, Justin Trudeau's comments in my testimony. Uh, I think it was a slap on the wrist. He, the, our prime minister went on public television and called Canadians who don't believe in his views um, racists and misogynists and asked if we should be tolerated. Asked if we should be tolerated. Mm -hmm. And like I said, in my testimony, I, I literally do have the tears of thousands of Canadians on my shoulders every day, the stories that we heard. So um, a little criticism on name calling, I think, is just a slap in the wrist. Another question? So not to give away any trade secrets or anything, but what is the basis of your defense? Like where do you approach it from a constitutional basis or infringement on personal freedoms. So can you elaborate on that a little bit without... <laughs> we will... I will answer it with the precision that a lawyer would at this moment in time. <laughs> we will advance the defense in a way that is guaranteed to be successful. <laughs> Another question? Um, Laura Lynn from Laura Lynn Live. Wondering if the funds uh, that were raised Mm -hmm. um, are they still being held and would that be able to be used for defense eventually in some manner? Sure, that's a great question. Um, so the funds were initially under what's called a Mariva injunction, which was converted into a court-supervised escrow fund. So that means because the class action lawyer brought that, that uh, injunction, it means that the court will not let any money out unless he agrees or the court hears arguments from both sides and decides to override. So <clears throat> that's that's the first safe, like a bank safe that the money's in. That safe is inside another safe. The second safe is a um, civil forfeiture order under issued or obtained by the Attorney General of Ontario, deeming that the monies were obtained through criminal activity, which is not true, uh, and therefore they should be forfeited to the Crown. Though the safe inside the safe is inside a third safe. The third safe is a Attorney General order from Ontario as well, but under the criminal code, declaring that these monies are proceeds of crime, in particular terroristic activity. So in order to get the money out, we have to open the first safe, mm -hmm. open the second safe, and then open the third safe. So as you can already get a sense, long journey. Um, so we don't know if we're ever going to be able to get all the safes open, and even if we can, the attorney general or the class action lawyer may be successful in taking ownership of the, the approximately $5 million in donations. And remember, 
10 million from GoFundMe was refunded, but there was a million that moved before that happened and that moved into the escrow or 1.4. Um, Give, Send, Go raised about 12.7 million Canadian, which is remarkable. This all occurred in just a little over two weeks. Like, remarkable. Um, uh, that all got refunded for about 3.5, and then there's a little bit of crypto and some other things from adopted trucker, you combine it. So uh, if we can get the class action collapsed and struck, then that's one of the safes gone. If we can get the uh, criminal charges dismissed or an acquittal, that'll be the second safe gone and then we'll deal with the civil forfeiture last. So we've got a long road ahead of us, but what the board's done is reached out to supporters and done an extensive poll, and the feedback was, if you can get access to the money, use it to pay the out-of-cost expenses from the truckers, and use it for legal defenses to ensure that these freedom fighters are properly represented. So the steps are, so it's first the, the civil forfeiture order, than the, the criminal charges. Uh, first is the, uh, the and, and, the, and the ordering could change at any time yeah, depending yeah. on which move the opponents make. But what's obvious, the first step is the, uh, is the uh, related to the class action. Okay. Is there another question? I have one. Oh, sorry. Eva would like to speak. Actually, can, can I just get you to take the mic? Can I just paraphrase you really quick? I just want to sum all that up. What you're saying is, that if Paul Champ is successful with his lawsuit, he could get the money that the Canadians donated for the truckers. That's correct. Okay, thank you. Um, the one good thing COVID gave us was um, the ability to do these things on Zoom. So I know um, Mr. Andrew Lawton is on the Zoom link with True North. And he has a, can you, can you speak? Yep, if you can hear me, I can speak. Yep. Uh, thank you. My question is about the criminal charges more broadly. Uh, the Ottawa police said they issued, I think, 533, um, including over 200 for mischief. But I know a number of these have been withdrawn or stayed. So I didn't know if you might know even generally how many of these charges are still pending. And beyond that, are you optimistic that a lot of these will be abandoned by the Crown before making it to trial? Um, we haven't been able to keep an accurate up-to-date count. There's no sort of central clearinghouse. There was some stayed last week, as a matter of fact. Uh, same day Chris and Tamara were in court again on a procedural matter. And, um... Sorry, if I can interrupt, um, there was an audio feed on the Zoom over, cutting over you, so if you could repeat that, I would appreciate it. I didn't need it now. Thank you. Understood. Um, there isn't a central clearinghouse in terms of tracking um, the status of all the charges. You're right, many have been um, stayed or dropped altogether, um, withdrawn, and there was some even last week. But, you know, to be candid, the gist we're getting is um, that the Prime Minister and the government want to make example of certain people, and we know who those people are, Chris and Tamara, unfortunately and uh, we're proceeding on the basis that this is going to trial. Other question? Um, head of uh, the intelligence, Pat Morris, made comments about public officials and a lot of their claims not being substantiated. 
it seemed like in the um, commission report, this was sort of thrown aside a little bit. And I was wondering if you guys thought that was one of the more important things that Canadians should be sharing with each other. Thank you for that question. That's certainly something that I have been trying to educate Canadians about the most is Pat Morris, who is um, the head intelligence officer for the Ontario Provincial Police in charge of gathering intelligence of what was going on during the Freedom Convoy. So they could not present a more reputable expert at the commission than OPP officer, Superintendent Pat Morris. And his exact words are, the lack of serious crime was shocking. <laughs> we had thousands, tens of thousands of people come to Ottawa for a period of three times. Charges were in the double digits. I think it was 11 in three weeks before the Emergencies Act was invoked. Stanley Cup, Vancouver riot, yeah. one a night over 200 charges. That is the evidence that every Canadian should be looking at. Not about the feelings people had about how loud it was or how violent it could become. That's not evidence, that's feelings. And that is not what Canada should be looking at and Canadians should be looking at. So please read the report. Please see what credible officers had to say. Look at the evidence, not feelings. Yeah, we'll do one more question, if there is one. Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, Carrie Lambert from the Chris and Carrie Show. Uh, question about the donation money that is still outstanding. Is that traceable back to any of the individual donors? And if it is, doesn't that set a press, dangerous precedence for going forward and for making any donations for something like this? Well, um, it's difficult. It's probably not traceable in the sense that, I'll give you a really good example. So we know, and we've been clear that of the 10 million in GoFundMe, 1 million was moved yeah. to an account held by Chris and Tamara prior to Freedom Corp being able to set up an account. Well, GoFundMe technically then should have refunded nine million. Mm. They didn't. It cost them a million dollars. They had to refund 10, because mm. they couldn't tell mm. which donor uh, had contributed the million that actually moved and is now in escrow. So they've been unable to trace it at that level. So that would be my answer to that okay. question. Maybe we'll go with one more and then we're going to wrap it up. Go ahead. I would just like to ask Tamara at this point if she has any regrets and what is the biggest learning that she got out of this experience? So the question was if I have any regrets and sorry, what was the second part? Um, what was the biggest learning? The biggest learning thing for me? I have absolutely zero regrets. Um, I'll tell you a quick little story. Uh, after, during the Christmas break, I took my grandson to um, the Toboggan Hill in the city that I live in. And we were walking up the hill and I stopped and looked around at all these kids and families and mm -hmm. teenagers. And they were laughing yeah. and having so much fun. And I had that moment where I thought it was worth every second, every second. 
And my biggest, uh, the biggest thing I learned through the convoy, obviously, was um, for me, the unity. I said this many, many times. Um, there's been so much divisive rhetoric over the years, and you know that to me smashed that to pieces. I have never been more proud to be a Canadian than I was last winter, and still am today. Thank you. Yeah, one, one quick question. I noticed with the funds um, that had been returned, uh, I believe Stripe, which is maybe Visa, had made a significant amount of chargebacks. I was just, uh, guessing about $700,000. So to me, that's the government mandating these refunds and practically handing $700,000 of uh, freedom, freedom of expression, really, to the Visa companies. I don't know if you guys are able to address that at all or... If uh, individuals, you can advise that individuals can address it themselves. Because I so, thought that was swindling, really. The, the question is, <clears throat> the, the, the merchant in between people, I'll call them, the stripes. So when you go to donate and you click and you use your credit card, the money doesn't go directly to GoFundMe or Give, Send, Go. It goes through an intermediary. And in this case, Give, Send, Go was using Stripe. And each transaction they do, they take a fee. And as the questioner just illuminated, the fees that were drawn on those monies were very significant. And if at the end of the day they didn't deliver, well, on what basis should they be able to take the fee? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that the Freedom Truckers ask Evan and I all the time, <laughs> they're gonna laugh in a second, is, when are we suing this person? And when are we suing that person? And when are we suing this? And when are we suing the police? And when are we suing? And when are we suing? And Eva and I always have the same answer. The first thing we have to do is deal with the wolf at the door. Yeah. And if you look at our last 12 months, we have always, Eva and I, had wolves at the door that we've had to rush at and eliminate and then deal with the next wolf. You know, whether it was getting Tamara out of jail, whether it was preparing for the public inquiry. So we're eliminating the wolves, and when we get the last one at the door looked after, the wolf will come out of the house. Mm -hmm. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Yes. Good, 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 good. Thank you for coming.